This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome to another episode. And this is one that we have no pleasure doing, this, to this be honest. This is a riveting podcast episode. We've we've had a few arguments over it. We've actually already recorded it once and, and then, we weren't happy with how it came out. And it's so important that we get this right. Yeah. That it, we decided to completely scrap it and redo the whole thing. Exactly. And spend another hour re-recording it just to make sure that we are being really sensitive about this topic because it's one of the most inflammatory topics I think in society today. And, um, and before and, and we even shouldn't be, yeah. And, and before we even say what it is, I, I want to give this little preamble, which is this is a challenging subject and listening to it might be triggering for you. It probably mm-hmm. will be triggering for you no matter where you stand on the issue yeah. and you're going to want to turn it off and you're going to want to put us into a box, a category that says these people's opinion doesn't matter because mm-hmm. they're one of them. And that's that's going to be very human for you to feel that way. Right. But we really hope that you will stick it out and yeah. try to engage with this topic with us. Yeah. Recognize all of the gray area that exists. And, and we're gonna we're gonna try and maintain the like we're gonna try and create a safe space in the gray area today. You know because um, because when we sit on the right or left or the black or white side, um, that's where we start to point fingers at each other and say you're wrong, I'm right. And so we really just want to hold space for the gray and help people maybe create a bridge between the two so that we're not each other's enemies anymore on this, on this subject, basically. Yeah. The, the goal really in the end is to develop compassion. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully we can accomplish that today, but I think we have teased it long enough. So I think everyone knows what it's about. Oh yeah. Cause it's probably in the title, huh? <laughs> yeah. We're talking about vaccines. Ah, spoiler alert. Anyway. Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> so, so we are talking about vaccines, but but really, we're not talking about vaccines so much as we are talking about your medical autonomy uh-huh. and your ability to make your own decisions. Yeah, medical freedom. Because one more, one more spoiler alert here. We are not going to give you an answer at the end of this that tells you, oh, vaccination is good or vaccination is bad. Mm-mm. It's not even our goal to do that. Our, our goal is to help you recognize the complexities of the situation. It's so complex and it's there's so much information and a lot of it is bad on both sides. That's right. And, we, and we, have to, we have to recognize that. There is no golden answer. There's no golden rule with this. And so we need to stop treating it like there is. Like there is a one true answer. Like there is a one true God. It doesn't exist. So we always talk about how we want you to develop some autonomy and we want you to take your power back. But we don't always talk about the flip side of having the power, which is that you also hold the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that means that whatever you decide to do, you are taking responsibility on yourself for the outcomes that come with that. And that is really difficult to take because sometimes those outcomes aren't what we want. And so I think that maybe we just just need to dive into it. it, Right. So again, this isn't an episode about vaccine safety. It's about medical freedom. And we're talking about this because California just passed a new law that makes it extremely difficult to get a vaccine exemption to attend school. So it's, right. al- it's so, also putting doctors at risk of losing their licenses if they are, if there are 
accused of mm-hmm. providing fraudulent exemptions, basically. Didn't you say that it was like if they do like five exemptions, then they're right. like, so, they're red flagged? So a couple of years ago, California removed personal exemptions for vaccines, which meant that you couldn't just say, I don't believe in vaccines, and then you're not required to get them. They, they removed all of that. So the only way to get an exemption was through a medical provider. And so people found the medical providers who were sympathetic to their beliefs, basically. Mm-hmm. And they, they started getting vaccine exemptions through them. Um, but they developed a system that some people considered fraudulent, where mm-hmm. some of these doctors were just handing them out en masse without even actually seeing the patients and charging it a lot of money to do so. Mm-hmm. And so the the presumed uh, purpose of this is to remove that fraudulent piece so that the children are actually being taken care of and they're not just being used as a loophole, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I I hope that makes sense. But there are some potential unintended consequences from this. And like Jean-Yves was saying, one of them is really scary for doctors. And that's that if you are accused of fraudulently providing these exemptions and that's that's not just if you are intentionally being fraudulent, but if, mm-hmm. if it is perceived that you're being fraudulent, your medical license in California is at risk. Right. That's that's scary. And one of the triggers that can set that flag off is if you are writing these exemptions for more than five students. So uh, there's so that very very difficult. Like it puts doctors in a difficult position. It puts parents in a difficult position, especially parents who have had children that have reacted to vaccines in the past. Right. And and we we need to have a heart to heart right now and sit down and look at each other and we need to start listening to mothers and and not gaslight their families' experiences and their children's experiences because children are reacting to these things. Not a lot, not a lot of children, but they do exist. And so this this notion that vaccines are 100% safe is absolutely false. And yet it's being smeared and the propaganda around that concept is so, so wrong. But on the other hand, not vaccinating poses risks. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of risks. So vaccinating poses a lot of risks and, and not vaccinating. There's risks on either side. But here's the important part. You as a parent should have the right and the freedom to decide which risk you are willing to take with your child. What risk you are, like you are the one responsible for that. And it should never be forced upon anyone ever. Um, So kind of going back to, what what was I talking about originally? (laughs) Well, so the California law, and just just one more thing on that. For me, the absolute worst part about it is that you are not making the decision. Your doctor is not even making the decision because your doctor just fills out a request form saying, hey, we'd like to apply to have this student be exempted. But the ultimate decision is being made by a government bureaucrat. Right. Right. Now, these are hopefully medical providers in the government. Hopefully. Something akin to like a surgeon general or their assistants who are at least nurse practitioners or PAs or something like that. But the fact is that that the people making the decision in the end about whether or not your child qualifies it's for an someone exemption. someone who's never met you ever. Or, or your child. Or your child. And, right. and that's, that's, what they're, that's what they're saying is the problem with the way the law was prior to passing SB 276. Yeah. So, so in our opinion, that's problematic. Not because we think vaccines are terrible, but because we think that 
it should be ultimately up to well, you to decide what happens with your Not because vaccines are terrible, health. but because vaccines are complex. Right. Like it's not a one size fits all. No. It's like everybody likes different flavors of ice cream. Like our bodies react to chemicals and medicines and like I don't want to say toxins, but toxins differently. And there are, and uh, okay, I'm going there just a little bit. There are some toxic substances in these vaccines, but the argument is, well, the body is able to detoxify them. Right. The, the saying so is it's, that- It's so minimal that the body is like done with it in 24 hours. Yeah. The saying is that the dose makes the poison, right? Mm-hmm. That if the dose is low enough, it's not toxic to your system because right. your body has ways of dealing with that. And that is true for many people in many situations, uh-huh. but not necessarily true for all people in all but situations. Not exactly. We all react to medications very differently. I mean, even with our CBD, people ask, well, what doses should I take? And I'm like, well, it's going to be completely dependent on your own biology. Right. How much can your body tolerate? How, how well does your body metabolize it and utilize it? Same thing with vaccines. You know, it's, and it's the same thing with foods. Like some people have allergies to certain foods. Some people don't. Well, I would add that we do that with most medications as well. Mm-hmm. You go to the doctor, they prescribe you a medication and then they make adjustments to the dose based yeah. on your height, your weight, your background, mm-hmm. how you respond to it, the way yeah. you tolerate it, all kinds of things like that. Yeah. And we don't do that with vaccines. We give the same vaccine to, to everyone, everyone regardless. Sun. I mean, unless they choose not to get them, which is kind of what this issue is about here. Right. So maybe we should back it up just a little bit <laughs> right, and so, talk a little bit about some historical things that happened yeah. in the vaccine world, some things that happened um, within the government and um, yeah, l- yeah. Okay. let's back up. So, so first off, we need to differentiate between vaccination and immunization because immunization has been around for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the process of helping people to develop a natural immunity to a disease, an infectious disease, which usually comes through exposure to that disease. You mean immunization? I'm talking about immunization. Okay, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, and that that is a process that does happen naturally. Um, at some points in history, it only happens if you survive. And that's been one of the problems with infectious diseases is that sometimes they're so powerful that mm-hmm. more people die from them than develop an immunity to them. Um, and, and that was kind of why vaccination caught on the way that it did. The first kind of modern Western vaccination method was developed in 1796, quite a while ago, actually. It was a a guy named Edward Jenner who wanted to help fight smallpox. So what he did was he would take the blisters from people who had been infected with a similar disease called cowpox, and he would apply those blisters to other people. It's so gross. I think they called it arm-to-arm treatments, right? Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, yeah, that is kind of a gross-sounding thing, (laughs) but it worked. These people would get exposed to the cowpox and their body would Create develop immunity. immunity to it. And mm-hmm. that immunity would kind of generalize to the smallpox as yeah. well. And it saved lives. And in fact, it, it was so effective that they started kind of systematizing it so they didn't have to use the blisters anymore. And by the 1940s, they had actually developed a few of these different vaccines. There were four different diseases that they were addressing with them. One of them was the smallpox. The other three were diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. And those three were all combined into a single vaccine 
uh, application called DTP. Or DTAP. Nowadays, it's DTAP. They've made some adjustments to it, but um, virtually the same thing that they started with in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And then over time, they gradually started increasing them. Um, it, they had seven of these diseases that they were addressing by the end of the 70s. Um, but once again, combined into three products because the only product they added was the MMR, which we're all familiar with, the measles, mumps, and rubella. Mm-hmm. And then um, by the turn of the century, we had 11 different diseases. And then um, I think well, more talk recently- about when, yeah. when did they start? Um, well, so, so back in the, the 70s, 80s, things were not really progressing as quickly as some people wanted because- these companies that were producing the vaccines, the the pharmaceutical companies like Merck, they were like getting Merck, sued a ton. They were getting sued left and right because every time someone had a negative reaction to the thing, they would start a lawsuit and it would cost mm-hmm. all kinds of time and money for the pharmaceutical companies. And they were basically saying, this isn't worth it. We just don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So the, the government said, well, this is a problem. We believe in vaccination and we want this to happen, but it's not going to happen if we don't protect and, and these companies. And let me play devil's advocate. I'm sure the government was like, hey, we need vaccines and we believe in them. So let's make something that's more effective and less toxic. But then what they did was they took the accountability out to where the the people could no longer sue these. They couldn't sue Big Pharma, basically. And right. so that creates a really, really big problem because now they're not accountable. Now there's no motivation to make it cleaner, to make it less toxic, you know? So yes, we believe in vaccines, but we believe in more efficient vaccines. We believe in vaccines that are one, like make something that is 100% safe, that is okay for everyone to take in, those that are immunocompromised and those that are not. But that accountability piece got completely taken away. Right. Completely. And and backing up for just a second, our our goal with this episode is to try to represent both sides as well as we can. Mm -hmm. And from the perspective of the vaccine companies, or we'll call it the pro-vax side of things, Mm -hmm. most of these lawsuits were considered frivolous, right? That people were accusing the vaccines of causing issues that the vaccines were not causing, which is why the government felt justified in creating this immunity from prosecution for the vaccine manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not be the truth. Um, the problem is that no one actually did the research to figure that out. Right. It was just an assumption that was made. So they came up with this compromise, which was we're going to shield the vaccine producers from prosecution for any potential issues. I guess prosecution is not even the right word. Lawsuits, period. You can't sue a vaccine maker. Mm-hmm for any injury you get. But they did create a court, the Vaccine Injury Court. It has an official name, but that's what we'll call it, where people could make claims about being injured by a vaccine and potentially get compensation for all of your issues. And Mm -hmm. just to give you an idea of the numbers, you can get up to $250,000 just for your troubles, basically, if you get vaccine injured and that includes death, if you die, it's an automatic 250,000. If it's deemed that you have a good claim, you can also get reimbursed for some of your medical costs and for some of your lost work. If, mm-hmm. um, if you do lose time at work. Right. Um, and so they consider this a grand compromise, right? That it would enable the vaccine companies to continue producing their products, 
but it would also help reimburse people for troubles that they developed as a result of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. But like Jean-Yves was saying, that is still a very, very problematic situation because it removed a really helpful free market factor, which is that the market can't help these companies to improve their product. Yeah. They have no motivation to improve their product or because because there's no accountability. Now, now here now here's an issue that I I have with this whole debate too because we everybody, like almost everyone under the sun is is down on big pharma. Like they're always the bad guy with with medications and with with um, the side effects of medications and they give you a medication and then they give you another medication for the side effect. Like generally we don't like big pharma. People don't. But when it comes to vaccines, they can do no wrong. And that cognitive dissonance kind of blows my mind a little bit. I don't, I don't fully understand that. And so, um, so, so honestly, I I do wonder people that are saying vaccines are 100% safe. I mean, are, are you going to say that about every single medication out there that big pharma makes? Because they yeah. will, right? I mean, they'll tell you their stuff is safe. Right. They test it. Right. In fact, they do more testing on all their other products than they mm-hmm. do on their vaccines. Uh-huh. In fact, one of, but in one of the states, which state was it? Massachusetts. They just come remember. down heavy on big pharma for the whole opioid crisis. Right. So we know that big pharma has dirty hands. But when it comes to vaccines, they they can do no wrong, and and that's a really it, again it's it's not the opinion it's the extreme opinion that can be problematic because that's what is creating this inflammatory divide between um, both sides, and so we I, I think let's just put our take off our emotional hats and put on our critical thinking hats and be like okay. There's an, there's an issue here when a company is their accountability is taken away. They they have billions of dollars to do whatever the heck they want. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I I just I don't trust that one. I don't trust government anyways. But that is just that that's that that smells stinky to me. Right when you put government together with corporations who oh actually have a history of being Corrupt. convicted of. Mm-hmm. criminal practices they have all paid criminal fines in the billions mm-hmm. for their practices not necessarily with vaccines with other drugs but they're not another um, teresa but anyway we we shouldn't just be turning a blind eye to them on this particular issue and saying mm-hmm. oh i'm sure that everything is up on the up and up there so we can ignore that that that's yeah. just that's not in our nature and it's hopefully not in most other people's nature as well so, so whatever the case, this grand compromise they came up with in the 80s, which, by the way, passed by a Republican legislature and signed into law by a Republican president, mm-hmm. um, they, uh, it worked because the vaccine companies got back to work. And in fact, they started increasing their products greatly to the point where today we have some, I don't know what it is. By the time you're 18 years old, you'll get 70 different shots Mm -hmm. and it addresses, I don't know what, 19, 20 different uh, diseases. And depending on how you look at it, that's either a really great thing or it's a troubling thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're trying to talk about today is that it's really difficult to say whether that's a great thing or a troubling thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need more and we need better research. Yeah, we do. We, we, we need better research and everyone is out there screwing. Well, we do. It's fine, but it's not. It's it, So 
back in the 70s, I think we need to talk about, what was it called? The Manfield something. Anyways, there. so the government used to give a, a bunch of money from the the military funds. They used to give a small portion of that in the military Three, 3% funds. of the defense budget went to research. And the, the defense budget is like billions of dollars. So so this was a- Trillions. Tri- okay, trillions, sorry, yeah. Tons but, of money. So anyways, it was a good amount of money and it was given to proper scientists. They were third-party testers that were indifferent about the results of medications and tests. And um, they, they were basically hypothesizing about everything under the sun. And they were allowed to study whatever they wanted. There yeah. were no strings attached no to this No strings money attached. Right like now. there was no corporation paying for this. It was just the government saying, hey, test all the things. And so they would. But then in the 70s, mid 70s, that money was taken away. And so where do scientists now get money from? Tristan, do you want to tell us? Well, they had to they had to find another source, right? Mm-hmm. They had to go find people that had money and that were willing to give them that money to do research. Mm-hmm. And where do you typically find that kind of money? You find it from large corporations, right? From because corporations. individuals tend not mm-hmm. to have that kind of money. Yeah. And so so these so, scientists became academicians mm-hmm. is the saying, right? And they 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 were no longer third party um non-emotional non uh, involved people, they became very motivated because they had to um, please, I guess, the person who was paying for the research. And that, that may be a and cynical view of it, but the fact is that they were being paid by the people who were most affected by the results of their research, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's a, an inherent conflict of interest. And no matter how unbiased you try to be, it's impossible to say that there is no bias involved in that scenario. Yeah. And that's, that's problematic. So, so you end up with this situation where scientists are getting paid to research things that affect the people paying them. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, when you do unbiased studies, you are far more likely to see the results favoring the company right. paying for the research and, and, than not. And we've actually done a podcast on research, we but have. I think Tristan, you need to like, Share your story again. So Tristan had to do some research when he was getting his PhD, and um, and he felt an immense amount of pressure uh, to be in favor of the techniques that he was testing because the company was paying for that. So can you talk a little bit about the political climate around that just a bit? Well, I, I feel like you already did. I mean, okay. so, so basically, yeah, I, I, as a research assistant and I was running a project, um, I knew who was paying the bills. And mm-hmm. I was interacting with those people on a regular basis, both as a research kind of a consultant for them and as the research administrator and as their employee. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not the right word for it, but I was a getting money as yeah. a result of, of mm-hmm. their paychecks. So, yeah. so yeah, it's difficult to, in that situation, then produce a study that says, Ooh, your, your stuff way, is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is really crappy stuff. No, we never explicitly changed results to make it look better for them. We never explicitly did anything unethical that would, um, create a better looking study for them. But the fact is that it was there in the back of our minds. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so who knows in what subconscious ways we were being affected in the way we set up our study or the way that we right. analyzed the results of the study or the way that we presented the results of those right. studies in the because research. You, you guys weren't third party scientists. No, not, you, not you, in the sense that we should have been. Exactly. And, 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 and our thir- situation wasn't rare. 
Mm-hmm. This is how it tends to this be is across how it the board. Is. It is. It really is. So sorry. Okay. So let's let's keep going back to uh, what's where's okay. So so maybe all right. So we have this situation where there's all these vaccinations and proponents of vaccines say that they are by and large safe and they have lots and lots and lots of research showing that their vaccines are safe. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into some of the details of that. But but if these vaccine proponents are correct that vaccines are 100% safe and 100% effective, or at least effective enough, mm-hmm. then it would make sense for us to pass laws that require vaccination for right. everybody. Right. And and that is why people who are pro-vaccine are in favor of laws like the one passed in California mm-hmm. that essentially force everybody to get vaccinated or stay out of the public. Right. Right. Your kids can't go to school unless they get vaccinated, period. Yeah. That's all there is to it. And and from that perspective, it makes sense that you would want that because there is a very real evil from the uh, contagious diseases that used to kill people by the millions. Mm-hmm. And there is only a perceived evil from the vaccines themselves that has never been proven. Mm -hmm. So let's just force the issue, get rid of all of the contagious diseases. And then all of those people who thought the vaccines were causing issues will see that everything is fine and we can move on with our lives. Can, Can I share what the percentage is of chances of someone dying from a vaccine preventable diseases? Yeah. It's 0.0000056%. That's a lot of zeros. So you have the same odds of being killed by an asteroid. Right. So now, it's, it's really small. So, so the fact that we have all this uproar mm-hmm. and the fact that we want to save all of these children mm-hmm. that are apparently dying from kids that are not being vaccinated... Mm-hmm. It's propaganda at its best. Because again, I am going to repeat that number. Your chances of dying from a vaccine preventable disease Mm -hmm. is 0.0000005%. So once again, though, looking at the flip side of that, their argument, the the pro-vaccine argument would be, well, the odds are that little because of vaccination, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're saying that if we didn't have the vaccine program, those numbers would be a lot higher. And That's if we go true. if we go back to the 1900s, right. then we would see that the odds were much higher of dying of right. one of those diseases back then. So so, so let's let's talk about I I think and again, it's it's so hard to prove either side's argument because there is the argument that sanitation, clean, like washing hands, disinfecting, bathing more regularly, um kind of increased and like all of these vaccine preventable diseases were already on the decline around the time that we had these vaccines, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, so again, it's one of those things. It's like, well, yes, the data shows that, you know, but if I am for people that are pro-vax, they're probably saying, well, that's incorrect information. And here's the, here's, here's the real answer. We will never know. You know what I mean? Like we, we won't know what the, right the true truth would ever be. Mm-hmm. All we know is what was happening a hundred years ago is not happening today. It would be really cool if we could do a study where we take a large, large, large society of people back in time, so to speak, <laughs> to a non-vaccine era, right. but let them keep modern 
medical methods and sanitation methods Mm -hmm. and see what happens, right? How do they manage the measles? How do they manage the smallpox? How do they manage the polio? That'd be cool to see. It would be interesting, but it's not going to happen. Never. It's it's just not a possibility. So we are left to guess. And everyone's going to pick their, their side. And- so, but, but, but what I want to bring to light is why are we trying to enforce these archaic ideals based off of what was happening hundred years ago when mm-hmm. we are right here in modern America with proper sanitation and access to medicine? Um, now, here is a great example of where I think vaccines serve people a lot, and that would be in poverty-stricken third-world countries where they don't have access to medicine, where they are poorly malnourished, where there is rampant disease because, again, because of sanitation, no clean drinking water, um, inability for um, what plumbing, all that kind of stuff. Like that's where, yes, the death that the death toll for these diseases goes way up. And that's where vaccines actually would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's in those situations, it saves thousands of lives. It really does. Um, but I wish we could look at each individual case and not have this blanket um, resolution for, mm-hmm. for everyone because, because it's, it's just not, it, it makes no sense. So real quick, let's let's talk for a second about how vaccines work. And because I think that there are two big questions when it comes to vaccines and whether they should be mandatory. One of those questions is, do they actually work? And second is, are they actually safe, mm-hmm. right? So the way that vaccines work is they have one goal. And that is that there's, antibodies. there's one thing that they test for when they're doing efficacy studies on vaccines, and that is antibodies. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the short-term antibodies that show up within days of getting the injection. Um, they don't do any testing on the long-term antibodies. Not Well, not always. Sometimes they do. And they certainly don't account for all the other factors of immunity, especially the, the microbiome, right? And we've come to learn in the last several years that the microbiome, your gut bacteria, mm-hmm. account for 70% of your total to 80%, immunity. yeah. So we're, we're putting a lot of effort Emphasis. and a lot of worry into this 30% if it's even that much. Mm-hmm. And we're only looking at a part of that. Right. We're looking at the presence of those immediate antibodies. Mm-hmm. And we know that actual immunity is a lot more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And we also know that uh, how you respond to a vaccine is a lot more complex than just, oh, I developed antibodies. Everything's good to go. Yeah. For example, that 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 microbiome. We have found that differences in the microbiome have a very strong effect on how well you respond to a vaccine. Yeah. If you've got a really weak microbiome, that vaccine is virtually useless to you. Yeah. But if you have a really strong one, then actually it can make a big difference. Yeah. However, we're not accounting for those differences when we apply the vaccines. We're not. So one other thing that's important to note is that there is a lot of research, at least enough research, showing that some of these infectious diseases are actually beneficial for our immunity in the long term. Like naturally getting once, these. Once we get them naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Measles being a huge one. There are study after study after study showing that when you get the measles naturally and you go through that process it confers certain immune benefits for you later in life. One of the biggest ones being 
that it can actually reduce certain kinds of cancer. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. And Mm -hmm. if you listen to some of our past episodes, you know that cancer is increasing at an alarming rate, especially Mm -hmm. among our generation, people born in the 80s and later. And young kids. And young children. Mm -hmm. It's just going up and up and up. Yep. So... So there's a lot of these different factors that are, once again, they're not being accounted for. Right. And we really should be doing more research into them before we start making policy around them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or, or again, saying they are 100% safe. There's, you guys, there's just so much that we still don't know about the human body. There's so much that we're still learning. And so if we can just... Remain open to more information, to more knowledge, to more higher enlightenment um, around these topics. Maybe we could see that, again, this isn't so black and white. Like, we still have more to learn. And one thing I do want to bring up is one thing that we've learned in the past 10 years or so is something called this MTHFR gene mutation, which actually inhibits some population's ability to detoxify. So, and that's one of the mutations that we actually know right now. How many more are we going to learn about in the future that no one has any idea of yet? How are how do those future mutations that we're going to learn about, how does that affect the way someone's body interacts with a vaccine or not? How does that affect the way their body is able to detoxify? We don't know. There are still so many question marks. And, um, and I don't think a true scientist would say that they have all the answers. So why do we say that in these in these circles? And so my solution personally as a woman, a mom, a business owner, a health coach is to my my solution my my suggestion is let's just take space with each other and try to be a little bit more compassionate maybe to th- these people's stories and listen to their stories and re- respect their walks of life. Um, and respect their experiences that their children um, have had. Now, because there are moms whose children, again, it's a really small percentage. It's like 0.0004%. It's this. It's almost the same amount of risk um, that you would get to die from an, a vaccine-preventable disease is the same risk that you would get for an injury. So these numbers are small, right? We, but these populations exist. And so we need to be able to look at them and say, I see you, like you, you are there. And I, I recognize that you are scared. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, speaking of statistics and really low statistics, the odds of dying from a vaccine directly are point zero 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 one percent for a child so that's like 74 people a year one one in a million children Mm -hmm. will die because of the reaction to the vaccine Mm -hmm. um or at least to the shot i'm not sure it could be anything right and that's that's attributable deaths yeah so not necessarily a delayed reaction type Mm -hmm. thing um and yeah if there are 74 million children in the u.s which is i think about what we have and every single one of them got a vaccination, yeah. then then we could assume that maybe 74 would die. I don't know. Statistics can be difficult, but yeah. um, that's not a high number, but it's a real number. Yeah. It's, that's, that's 74. 74 families that lost a child. Like uh, Maybe it could be less because maybe they lose more than one. Mm-hmm, right? right. Yeah. It's uh, it's like the hunger games of vaccinations, mm-hmm. right? Where your, your child is chosen and 
you weren't given an option because it became mandatory and you get to pay the consequences of that. And that is something that I personally am not okay with. I'm not either. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to say that that is a high number and I'm not going to say that that is a risk that most people need to worry about, Mm -hmm. but it is one that people should be given the option to worry about and not have forced on them. Yeah. Did did you guys ever watch that? Okay. I'm sorry. I just thought of this. Do you guys remember in the movie Shrek, Lord Farquaad, where he goes, Mm -hmm. where he's addressing like his, his people to go find the princess. And he's like, some of you may die, but that is a risk I am willing to take, you know? (laughs) And, and that's just like went through my head right now. Um, And I'm, and, and I don't want to be the Lord Farquaad and be like, Hey, those 75 families can absolutely like, have their children die because my kids are going to be safe because herd immunity. Um, I want to say that's not good enough for us. Like that shouldn't be good enough for you. It shouldn't be good enough for me. Like, why can't there be a third option? Why can't we, why can't we say, Hey, this debate isn't closed. Let's demand better from these manufacturers. Let's demand safer vaccines. If, if we think that's the answer, why don't, why can't we demand better? So why don't we talk about what that might look like? What could vaccine producers, what could the government do better to make this work for everybody? Oh, I have no idea. So, well, <laughs> we have to look at the shortcomings in the current research to do that, right? Mm-hmm. The the biggest issue that I have with the research as it stands right now with vaccines is that they never, most of the time, I should say, they hardly ever use an inert placebo as a control when they're doing these studies. And in fact, it is considered unethical, 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 unethical to do so because here's the logic. And it's, it's really warped logic. We know that vaccines help people. Therefore withholding a vaccination willingly is unethical. Therefore we cannot withhold a vaccination. Did you guys see what happened there? So we can't even so, so test we, vaccines we can't properly prove, because right. it's already stated that they are so helpful and so great that there's that that it would be terrible to take that away. So so what they do instead is they compare the new vaccines against old vaccines and then they say well the new vaccine is more effective and it has the same safety. Right. So it's good to go. Which great. That's wonderful. It's more effective. However, we never really proved that the old vaccine was safe because mm-hmm. it wasn't compared to an inert placebo, mm-hmm. right? And it won't be because it would be unethical to do so. There was actually a paper published a few years back where they said, all right, listen, I guess there's a few situations where it would be ethical for us to use a true placebo in our studies. And those situations are very rare and they're, they're very uncommon. So it's not even worth mentioning them. But the fact is that as a whole, the, the group of people in charge of researching this have decided that it is not okay to use a true placebo. Therefore, we can never truly know if these vaccines are safer than nothing. Not to mention, they very rarely, if ever, look at these vaccines as a group. They only look at them as individuals. Plus, a group that is in the placebo group, even if they were receiving a true placebo, they are usually getting other vaccinations anyway. So, so it's it's dirty science. We we never get a true control. That's no. the real issue. It's, I wouldn't even call it dirty science. It's just not the best science that it's, we could it's do. Not. 
Um, I don't think there is yet a double-blind placebo-controlled study on vaccines or a longitudinal double-blind placebo-controlled. No, we have we have components of it all the time, right? Sometimes they do longer studies where they look for multiple years. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do something closer to a placebo. I think I I read that in the HIB vaccine, they at least used the word placebo when they were Mm -hmm. talking about the control group, Mm -hmm. Um, but they were getting other vaccines. Um, they, they claim that they're tracking the effects of the total vaccination schedule because they have something called the, the VAERS, right? That's the vaccine adverse event reaction system, reporting system. Mm -hmm. I can never get that right. (laughs) Vaccine adverse event reporting system, which is where people can go in and report adverse events that you get from vaccines. And you don't even have to be a doctor to do it. You can be a doctor or you could be a parent. You could just be some random citizen who found out about it and Mm -hmm. you could go report it to the system. But as you can imagine, that's problematic. For one, they are not actively asking for this information. They highly encourage it, but- So anyone can put information in there. No one is calling you or your doctor to say, hey, how'd things go with that vaccine? Right. The only way that they find out is if you report it. Yeah. On the other side of things, you can report literally anything. If you have a vaccine and then the next day your leg is snapped in half, yeah. you could report that as an adverse reaction to a vaccine and it goes in the database. Yeah. Right? That's an absurd example, but something similar to that probably happens all the time, yeah. right? A child gets a vaccine and then the next day they have some weird symptom. Bam, it's going in the database. Yeah. And the problem is that that is not good enough science for us to ever be able to say if it was correlated or not. Right. Right. Yep. Well, maybe correlated, but definitely no causation. Yeah, exactly. We would never be able to say how strongly the two are actually connected. Right. And so that provides way too much firepower to both sides of the debate. On the one hand, on the anti-vaxxer side of things, you can say, look at this database. It is full of all of these issues that mm-hmm. children have developed after getting vaccines. Yeah. Why is this not being acknowledged? Right. And of course, the other side of that, the response is because they're literally just reporting every Anything. symptom that they have. Right. We have no way to actually connect these things. Right. So it, it creates a further divide. But the other, the other side of the issue is you can have the the CDC itself saying, look, we track all this stuff. We have the, the database that people can report to, mm-hmm. but they're not doing any actual work to connect the symptoms reported to the vaccines themselves. Right. So they're able to say, oh yeah, it's generally safe because we've more or less written off all of these things in there that are probably not related. Yeah. It's not good science. It's, it's bad, not. bad, bad science. It is. And we can do better. That's that's really the most important thing is that we can do better. We, well, we deserve better. Everybody does. People who are pro-vaccine, people who are anti-vaccine, like we all deserve better from from big pharma and from our government. And better is not forcing people and taking their right away to choose. Because going back to those really small statistics of kids dying versus kids kids dying from a vaccine versus kids dying from a vaccine preventable disease. The, those risks are really small, but but we still deserve better mm-hmm. because um, now there's a lot of anti-vaxxers who are going to be listening to this and they're like, well, what about all the the side effects? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you know we we should be able to have the freedom to choose mm-hmm. what we want to do and say I even if those side effects are not 
related to vaccines. Like you should have the freedom to, to make that decision and to pick your risk. And that is being taken away from us. And that is completely unethical. No one has the right to take your choices away from you. So ultimately our argument is not even a medical one or a health one. It's a political one. Mm -hmm. This is for us. This is about our autonomy. It's about our freedom of choice. And it's about being able to maintain our own power and not give that up to the government and these corporations. It's in fact, if your system has to rely on 100% compliance to work, if your system completely falls to pieces because mm-hmm. you don't have 100% compliance, it is not a good system. Right. In fact, I cannot think of any other system in the world that effectively works and is that fragile. Right. Taxes is the best one I can come up mm-hmm. with. Right. We all have to pay taxes. Some people choose not to. They're, they tend to go to prison or they're billionaires. But for the most part, we all have to pay taxes. But some people are given a tax break because they don't make enough money. So right. they pay less in taxes. So, and that is such a fantastic example here mm-hmm. of the difference because we don't have that system With in, in the future of vaccines in America. Right now we still have a choice, but until we can come up with some way of recognizing the people who would be unduly harmed by this mandatory system, mm-hmm. the way that we have with taxes, right? If yeah. you make under a certain amount of money, it would be very detrimental to your well-being to have to pay out right. federal taxes. So they give you a reprieve from that, right? You yep. pay zero taxes. Hopefully in the future vaccines will be like, if you have these health issues or if you have these genetic mutations, then you are strongly advised to not do these certain vaccine schedules. When they are able to recognize those people and when they are able to provide that mm-hmm. kind of reprieve for people who would be unduly harmed by the yeah. vaccines, then yes, Go ahead and do the mandatory system. I think at that point, it, it kind of makes sense in some ways, but we are not there. We're not. We are not, not there. Close. We do know we that don't. there are individual factors that cause some people to be more susceptible. Janique talked about the, the genetic possibilities. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the microbiome issue, how yeah. that can be a factor, right? We, we know that, for example, a newborn child has 20% kidney capacity, Right. compared to a two-year-old child. So why are they recommended the same thing? And we know that the kidneys are the primary detox system for mm-hmm. aluminum, yep. which is what they primarily use as the adjuvant and the the preservative mm-hmm. for the vaccines now. But we're not doing anything about that, right? Yeah. And we are most certainly not trying to find and identify children who have very specific weaknesses that would make them vulnerable to getting injured by these vaccines. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. So how can we force this on everybody at this point in time? Right. It isn't okay. It's It's, not okay. It's not a perfect product. It's not. Um, So the debate has not been settled. So why are our, so our lawmakers really need to stop acting like it is because that's just not fair. No, that, it's not fair to anyone. Exactly. And and that 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 really that's our argument here. We I mean, the fact that the system has failed to hold the manufacturers responsible um for harm caused by their product, I mean that that right there just sets personally sets off alarm bells for me. The one redeeming factor in that whole situation is that people have been able to opt out of vaccines. So mm-hmm. there's still a free market component involved in that. Yeah. But this is what California is trying to take away yeah. 
or has taken away. This is what New York is soon going to do the same thing and try to take away. Mm -hmm. And as California and New York go, tends to go the rest of the country as well, which means that if we continue on this path, pretty soon every single state will have eliminated most exemptions to these vaccines without first providing a method of identifying at-risk individuals and giving them an alternative. Yeah. Yep. And this is sad. This, it it is awful. It's really sad. And it's very dear to us personally because I was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. You probably know that if you've listened to us much. And because I was diagnosed with cancer and I was in the military, mind you, they love their vaccines in the military. You had to get vaccinated. They vaccinated me like crazy when I first went in for stuff that I had already had proof of vaccines for. Mm -hmm. As soon as they found out I had cancer, that was the end of it. They didn't even touch him. No, they they wouldn't let me. They Right. They and, wouldn't even let me get vaccinated. I asked them to vaccinate me and they <laughs> said, no, sir. And then when we had Satori, um, they, they didn't, they didn't strongly recommend that we vaccinate her either because of Tristan's history with cancer. So the fact that the biggest military hospital in America recognizes that there are some, some pretty, I, I don't know, controversial situations where you probably shouldn't have vaccines. I mean, that that's that's saying something. Again, like Tristan said, this is the military. They were like, yeah, sure, you don't need to vaccinate your child, your 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 two month old baby. That's totally fine. Um, so yeah, I, but then why why are we holding everyone else to a different standard? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about. I, because I, you moms out there that have children that are immunocompromised or that you, if you are immunocompromised, like I want to say, I hear you and I see you. So what can we do right now? What can we do? What is within our power to help people feel more confident that we are creating some kind of healthy herd immunity that doesn't require vaccines? And I, and I want to tell you guys that what I try to add to the world because I can't change vaccine manufacturers by myself. It's not going to happen. But this is what I promise you right now. I promise you that I am trying to raise children that have really healthy immune systems so that they don't get sick, so that they are not spreading disease to school and to your children and to teachers and to other kids that are immunocompromised. Because if we really are so worried about the immune system, if we really are so worried about our children getting sick, why are we not taking steps? Why are we not having this debate or this discussion over the nutritional component of our children's immune systems? Because we know when you eat sugar, your immune system tanks. When you eat refined food, your immune system tanks. When you drink soda, your immune system tanks. Not only that, it creates inflammation. It exacerbates gut biome. It exacerbates autoimmune diseases. So if you are listening to me right now and you are so passionate that everyone should be vaccinated for the good and the health and the well-being of everyone in America, why are we still feeding our kids soda? Why are we still giving them sugar? Why are we still giving them processed foods? when you're this passionate about it shouldn't shouldn't we see shouldn't we see the problem at hand and be like oh wait if i'm going to be this stringent about this topic maybe i should be that stringent about every aspect of that topic too and so if this really is about immunity and healthy children 
why aren't we mandating that they don't drink soda? Or why aren't we taxing soda? Because we know soda is so unhealthy and it causes diabetes down the line, which costs everyone taxpayers' dollars. We know that sugar and processed foods causes obesity and immunocompromisation. And yet, why aren't we mandating that? Because the number two killer in America is heart disease. And yet all these foods that we're giving our kids is a slow path towards that. By 2030, one third of children are going to be obese and half of America is going to be obese. So if this is about health and immune system, why aren't we looking at these other avenues too? And I, and I want to express this because people think vaccines equals immunity and that's absolutely not true. A healthy body, a healthy diet, good nutrition equals healthy, like all, like eating good food will give you a stronger immune system. Yeah. Honestly, if, if you are feeding your children garbage and letting them drink soda pop and candy all day long, you have no business even worrying about vaccines. That is the least of the things that you need to be worried about. Right. So really what what we want to say is let's let's really focus on stuff that matters let's stop beating each other up over this mm-hmm. issue and let's recognize that there's still a lot of gray area and when there's a gray area we have no choice but to be compassionate yeah or we're going to kill each other yeah. and we're going to be miserable and we're going to hate each other for what mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't accomplish anything so, so- so just to give some numbers, let's say, you know, you're saying 74 kids die a year from vaccines um, or vaccine preventable. One injuries. out of a million. One out of a million. Okay. So 600, six, okay. 600,000 people died of heart disease mm-hmm. last year in America. That was one in every four deaths. Mm-hmm. I mean, so 74 deaths compared to 600,000, yeah. like- I think we're barking up the wrong tree, you guys. I think we are pointing fingers in the wrong direction. If we are really worried about deaths of our children, of our friends, of our family, like let's let's start looking, let's start pointing fingers somewhere else and not at each other because we are not each other's enemy. The culture around our health and our medical system really is. And I think we need to look at that more. Yeah, so maybe real quick, though, we need to address this idea of the immunocompromised child who cannot get vaccinated, and therefore we all should Mm -hmm. get vaccinated in place for them, right? The herd immunity piece, that if enough of us get vaccinated, the disease can't do its thing. First off, there's some questions about how well that actually works. Um, There are are cases where uh, herd immunity fails, even though they have still reached that threshold of people who've been vaccinated. Yeah. But but ultimately the issue is this. If your child is immunocompromised and you know about it, then you are a few steps ahead of mm-hmm. a lot of people whose children are compromised in terms of what vaccines might do to them, but yeah. they have no idea about it. Yeah. And when we force everybody else to get vaccinated because of these immunocompromised children, right. we are causing harm to a certain percentage of them. Yep. And we have no idea what percentage that is. We, we have no idea what extent that harm will take place in. Right. But we do know it will happen. And that's why it's not and a good enough happened. argument for yep. me. 
Exactly. Because we still don't know enough. We need more research. We need better research. Mm -hmm. We need precision medicine now. Mm -hmm. And until then, we need to keep the power in the hands of the individuals. Or in this case, in the hands of the families and the parents. Exactly. There is no better alternative. And in the end, we all are responsible for what happens to our children anyway. Whether we vaccinate them or choose not to vaccinate them, we are responsible for the outcomes as long as we were able to make the choice. And that's just part of parenting. We can't escape that. And sometimes that ends up very badly for us and it feels awful. But putting that power in the hands of the government instead is not any better. It's not. It's not. It's far, 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 far worse. And I think, I think that wraps it. <laughs> I think that's a lot of information for people for today. Um, hopefully we didn't turn you guys off of this subject. I, again, we really, I want to end and say, we have a child that's vaccinated and we have a child that isn't. That's right. And their, their health history and their health conditions are completely different. And we recognize that, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, son Tennyson, he had no health issues. And so we vaccinated him and he had no side effects. Our daughter Satori, she shows a lot of signs for some mutations that um, that could inhibit her body's ability to metabolize vaccines and detoxify them. We were, we so- were told with great confidence that she was going to have something like spina bifida mm-hmm. when she was born. Right. Right. They, they gave us every reason to believe that she was going to be a decrepit, poor, broken thing. And fortunately that has not been true, Right. but we do recognize the fragility of the situation mm-hmm. and we have no interest in exacerbating that by throwing right. extra things at her. And spina bifida is caused by an MTHFR gene mutation where the body cannot methylate properly. And so if the body isn't methylating properly, then it can't detoxify properly. So we recognize that and we see that in her. And so that is a risk that we're not willing to take with her. Whereas Tennyson didn't have any signs of that. So he was okay being vaccinated. But with Satori, she won't ever get vaccinated because that's just not something we're not going to play around with fire with that one. And, and our circumstances have changed. But the point is that we get it. We, we understand that there are two very strong sides to this. Right. We feel no judgment toward either side, but we do feel very strongly about preserving the right to pick a side for yeah. yourself. And, and, what we really want you to get from this, you listening to us right now, is that we have compassion for you, no matter where you stand on this issue. We care deeply about the health of you and your family, and we want to maximize that as much as we can, yeah. which is why we are going to continue providing as much information as possible mm-hmm. to help you live your healthiest life and create and raise the healthiest children you possibly can. Yeah. And we are going to fight to the death to protect your rights to make those choices for yourself, no matter what they are. Right. Anyways, guys, deep breaths. (laughs) Let's all do some positive mantras now. Um, Hopefully this wasn't triggering for anyone. Um, We really do care about you guys and your children and the the health of this country and our community and this world, we really do care about that. And so I hope you guys can feel that and sense that 
And I hope you guys didn't feel threatened at all throughout this podcast. So if you've made it this long, thanks for checking in. I know it wasn't quite as fun as our other podcast episodes, but um, hopefully you learned something today and you feel a little bit more empowered than you did an hour ago. And we love you. We really do. (laughs) Take care. Until next week. Bye. 